have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Philippians. We're starting chapter 3 today as we continue to make our way verse by verse through this Pauline epistle. Philippians chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 9. And I must tell you, I've been anticipating this text for some time. This is one of my favorite passages in, in all of Philippians. Philippians 3, 1 through 9. If you would, please stand with me in honor of reading of God's holy word. Hear now the written word of the living God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Pray with me, please. Lord, this is your word. It is true in all that it says and teaches. For, Lord, you are the supreme author. And by your spirit, you kept it safe. You kept it inerrant and infallible. Open our ears, open our hearts, that we might receive it with gladness. Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know you, may they come to know you through the preaching of your word this day. And for those of us here who do know you, may we grow in our faith, may we be encouraged in our walk, and may we love you even more. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. The date was October the 31st. The year was 1517. Martin Luther had just finished nailing those 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Yes, the Protestant Reformation had started. You see, by this point, Martin Luther, who was an Augustinian monk in the Catholic Church, Martin Luther had read and he had studied the Bible for himself. And he realized that the Catholic Church's teaching about salvation was incorrect because it was not biblical. 
You see, the Catholic Church had taught Luther that a person could earn his or her own righteousness before God by his own or her own merits, her own works. And that these works, these merits, would get a person out of purgatory and deliver them to heaven. So that person could actually justify himself or herself. That person could declare himself righteous before God on the basis of what he or she had done. In fact, Luther had got so caught up in that, he had tried to do that himself. So many times, trying to earn his way to God, denying himself certain things, trying to do other things, Luther tried to justify himself before God. But the Holy Spirit convicted him under the authority of Scripture, particularly Scriptures from Galatians, Scriptures from Romans. And Luther Luther learned that no person on earth could declare himself or herself righteous. No person on earth could be so right before God by his own works. He could not justify himself before God because Luther learned of the depravity of his own sin. He learned of the need for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he learned that you don't come to God by your own deeds, your own merits. You come by grace, through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. He definitely learned the righteous will live by faith. And it was that conviction that day, October the 31st, 1517, that drove him to that church door to nail those 95 theses on that door. But you fast forward four years later, Luther was summoned to the Diet of Worms in 1521. He was asked to recant of all of his works, all of the writing that he had done on justification by faith. And there was that moment where he stood before his enemies and he had to say something. And this is what he said. He said, unless I am convicted by scripture in plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. And he did that in the face of severe opposition. He did that knowing that bad things were going to happen to him because he said those things. But he stood solid on the word of God. He let scripture direct his heart and his mind. And he went with God instead of man. That happened in the 1500s. But did you know that 1500 years before Luther stood before his enemies, the Apostle Paul had to deal with the same type of enemies? Did you know that? Paul dealt with the enemies. They were called the Judaizers. They showed up in the book of Galatians. They show up right here in the book of Philippians. And these Judaizers, they were people who wanted to call themselves Christians, but they taught that you had to obey God's law to be saved, to be justified. They believed that you should definitely be circumcised. You must 
observe special days. You have to keep God's law fully and completely. And without doing this, you can't be saved. So you can see there's really not much difference between Luther's opponents in the 1500s and Paul's opponents in the first century. But Luther battled them in Germany. Paul was battling them from the prison walls of Rome. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul, right here today, in this text, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, he is battling these Judaizers. He is having the same argument that Luther had would have 1,500 years later. And today, I want you to see from this text how the Apostle Paul contended for the faith, that he fought for what was right in the sight of God. He fought for that precious doctrine of justification by faith. So walk with me through this text. I want you to see three things about Paul's contending for the faith today. The first one is this. I want you to see Paul's warning, his warning to the Philippians. It should be the same warning for us. Secondly today, I want you to see what I'm going to call assets and liabilities. And finally today, I want you to see the righteousness of Christ. So see the warning, see the assets and the liabilities, and see the righteousness of Christ. Look back with me at verse 2. Let's look at the warning together. Look at it. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I remember when I was in second grade, rode the school bus to school every day in the second grade. And our, what I remember about that is that every morning, the school bus would pick me up right in front of my house. Just walked down the driveway, got right on the bus, and went to school. But in the afternoon, when I was dropped off, the school bus, and I still don't know why, the school bus, for some reason, would not go in front of my house. They would only go two or three blocks away from my house, and they would drop a group of us off there, and they asked us to walk home. Well, the, the distance wasn't so bad, but the walk was terrible. Do you know why? Because I had to walk by Mr. Long's house. And do you know what Mr. Long owned? A little black dog. And you know what that dog would do every time I walked by Mr. Long's house? He would watch and wait. He would be sitting on the front porch and he'd see me coming down the road and he'd jump up and he would start barking and he would start sprinting down that hill and he would come at you. My dad would say, Adam, don't worry about that little dog. That little dog is all bark and no bite. That did nothing for me. <laughs> I was a little second grader. I was so fearful of that little dog, and every time I got off that bus, I was so nervous. In my heart and in my mind, I was saying, look out, look out, look out, here it comes, that dog is coming. And I hated it every single time I walked by Mr. Long's house. When I read this text, I always think about that story. Because you can see right here in verse 2, how many times does Paul say, look out? 
three times. Did you see it? Look out for the what? The dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. In other words, hear the warning. Look out. Something's coming. And Paul says three things. Look out for at least three things. First of all, the dogs. The dogs. Now, in my story, I had to look out for this little black dog who probably was all bark and no bite. But when Paul says, look out for dogs, he's not talking about a little black dog who runs down the hill. He's talking about the Judaizers. He's talking about his opponents. He's talking about the enemies who were standing in opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this text, he calls them dogs. Why? Because in that day and in that time in the ancient cities, there were wild scavenger dogs that plagued the cities. And these dogs were dangerous. And they really did attack people from time to time. And he, Paul is saying, those Judaizers are just like those dogs. And in my story, the little black dog who was all bark and no bite, that's not like these dogs because these opponents, yeah, they're going to have a lot of bark, but they're also going to have a very vicious bite because their bite is going to go down and ruin the gospel of Jesus Christ, ruin the gospel that I have preached to you with clarity, with boldness, with conviction. They're going to completely contaminate the gospel. Look out. Look out for those dogs. Secondly, he says, look out for those evildoers. It's another name for the Judaizers. You might think the Judaizers are doing right because they talk about God's law a lot. They talk about circumcision. They talk about special days, a lot of those things in the Old Testament. But they are using those things not to point you to Jesus. They're using those things to say, you can get to heaven this way. If you do these things, if you observe these special days, and Paul is saying what they're doing is not right in the sight of God, it is evil in the sight of God. They are actually evil workers. They're dogs. They're evil workers. Thirdly, they're mutilators of the flesh. We all know Genesis chapter 17, God gives us the sign of the covenant. It's the sign of circumcision. He gave it to Abraham. Abraham was circumcised and so were his children. And that sign was to point them to a greater reality. Someone who would come and his flesh would be cut as well. He would bleed as well. For the shed, the shed blood of Christ was the redemption that that circumcision pointed to. But these Judaizers were saying, no, you have to do that to be saved. That's part of your works righteousness. That's part of your merits that you need to, to have before God so that you can be saved. And because they were seeing circumcision that way, Paul called them mutilators. Mutilators of the flesh. And right here in verse 2, Paul says, hear the warning. Look out, look out, look out. These are your enemies. Now, we live in a world of tolerance, don't we? This seems like hard language. 
You know, in our world of tolerance, Paul's words might seem harsh, they might seem divisive. In fact, in many churches, language like this would be completely inappropriate, but it's in the Word of God. That teaches us, beloved, that truth and love are, they are not mutually exclusive. That believers, we are called to do both, and I would argue that through this language, calling them dogs, evil workers, calling them mutilators. Paul is loving the church more than he could ever love it because he's telling them the truth. If you think this language is harsh, I want to read you some more language from the Word of God. This is Galatians chapter 1. As I mentioned, these false teachers, these Judaizers, they don't show up just in Philippians. They actually show up first in Galatians. Let me read to you what Paul says about these Judaizers in Galatians chapter 1. This is verses 6 through 10. Listen to this. He's talking to the Galatians, but he's speaking about the Judaizers. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you who trouble there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul called him out. He said that these Judaizers, they're preaching a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, this works righteousness thing. And he actually said, and he said it twice, if anybody preaches a different gospel, that person should be eternally condemned, accursed. You see, Paul was in the business of pleasing God, not in the business of pleasing man. And he was actually loving the Galatians. He was actually loving the Philippians by telling them this truth. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, he asks the Galatians, he says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You ever felt like that? Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? That's what Paul was doing. I want to tell you another story, because this, this warning, this loud look out, look out, look out, that same warning should be in the church today. Let me tell you this story. As a pastor, I've gone to a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals over the last 17 years, involved with many families, and it was probably six to eight years ago. I went to a funeral up at Lake Norman to a, a local church there uh, by the lake. There's about 300 people there that day. And the pastor was up talking, and honestly, I couldn't make much of what he was saying. He was just kind of fumbling around, not making any sense. I was just sitting there in the pew, just kind of listening. But then he said these words. He said to the congregation, but now I want to tell you the gospel. I want to tell you the gospel. So I perked up. I got on the edge of my seat. 
I said, he's going to totally redeem himself right now. He's going to tell everyone the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got excited. I know what movie you're thinking about, Grizz. Yeah. (laughs) And this is what he said. Are you ready? I want you to get a good grip on your seat because this is what he said that day. He said, this is the Christian life. This is the gospel. He said, in this life, you put in and you put in and you put in. And then you die. And you go to heaven. And everything that you've put in, God takes it. And he gives it right back to you. And that's the gospel. I will tell you that I about blew a gasket that day. Listen, I'm a pastor. He was a pastor. We're kind of in the same fraternity. And, and I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I wanted to get out of that pew and I wanted to run up on that stage. And I wanted to tell all the dear people in that audience, look out, look out, look out. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil worker. Watch out. Because this is false teaching. And if you believe that nonsense, you're going to hell. There was no mention of man's sinfulness. There was no mention of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. There was no mention of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. But that was going forward in in an evangelical church up at the lake. You know what I learned that day? I learned a lot about the mission field. That the mission field is not just in another country or another part of the world. The mission field is in the walls of the churches in our areas because false gospel is going forward. And I want to tell you, church of the living God, watch out. Look out. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Hear the trumpet blown in your ear and make sure that you hold to the correct and the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, hear the warning. But secondly today, I want you to see what I'm calling assets and liabilities. Look with me again, verses 3 through 6. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Assets and liabilities. I'd say that most people in this room have a checking account. You have a a local bank that you use, and you have a checking account. And maybe you, like me, sit down maybe once or twice a month, and you want to balance that account. A bank with Wells Fargo, and I love the online banking. Maybe you use it. But when I pull up my Wells Fargo checking account and I open that account, here's what it does for me. On the left, there's a column, and on the right, there's a column. In the left column, they're my assets. They're my deposits. Maybe a transfer deposit that I've put in the bank. Something that is of positive gain to me. That's always on the left side of the screen. But on the right side of the screen, those are my liabilities. 
where I've used my debit card or where I've maybe written a check or there's been a withdrawal out of my account. There's all my liabilities. And every time I sit down to balance that account, and I'm sure you're the same way, I'm hoping by the end of my balancing everything, I have more on this left side than this right side, right? I have more assets than liabilities. I want to be in the black, not the red. Otherwise, you're in trouble with a bank, right? If you have more liabilities than you have assets. But we all understand what it means to have assets, to have liabilities. I mentioned this, beloved, because this whole assets, liabilities thing, that's the way the Judaizers were looking at salvation. They were making a list of personal assets, assets that were made up of their Jewish heritage, assets that were made up of their works righteousness. They were developing this list, and this this text says they would have confidence in their flesh. So the Apostle Paul, he sees what they're doing. He says, okay. I see that you're making a list of your assets versus your liabilities. Paul's saying, what you're really doing is having a works competition, aren't you? You're making a list. You're going to see how good you are. You're going to see if that will make you righteous before God. He says, okay, I see the game. In fact, Paul says, I'll play along. Because what Paul does is he assumes their worldview. He assumes this game of assets and liabilities and plays with them. But he only does it to show its futility, to show its absurdity. But this is what Paul does. Look at verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for such confidence in the flesh, what does he say? I have more. You know what he's saying? He's saying, whatever you can do, I can do better. He goes, you want to have a works competition? Bring it on. Let's have it right now. In fact, Paul says, I'm going to talk about seven things in my life, seven assets that I have that are better than anything that you have, Judaizers. You ready for the seven? Here they are. The first three are assets of inheritance. Things that Paul inherited through his family. Number one is this. Starting in verse 5, Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day. I followed the Old Testament completely. My parents followed it perfectly. I wasn't circumcised the seventh day. I wasn't circumcised the ninth day. I was circumcised the eighth day. My parents didn't wait six months and circumcise me. No, I did it on the eighth day. And guess what? That's an asset to me. That's an asset of ritual. Number two, he goes, I'm of the people of Israel. He's saying, I'm not an Egyptian, I'm not a Mede, I'm not a Persian, I'm not an Assyrian. There is pure Jewish blood in me. I am an Israelite. I have an asset of race. Number three, not only am I an Israelite, but I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm one of the... I'm one of the more noble tribes, one of the tribes that were in the south where Jerusalem was. So now I have the asset of rank. You see, I've inherited ritual race and rank, but I'm not done, Paul says. Let's keep going. 
Because I'm going to give you four more assets I have. I have at least four more assets of work. The text moves on. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That means as Paul grew up, every tradition that you were supposed to have as a Jew, he had. He kept. He did everything year in, year out. Yes, he had the asset of tradition. Next, he was a Pharisee. That's what the text says. Saying to the Judaizers, don't you know that as a Pharisee, I studied the law more than you did? I kept the law more than you did. I was in that great Jewish sect. I was a Pharisee. I have the asset of religion. I'm not done, Paul says. He says, I persecuted the church. You see, not only did I know my theology, but I acted on it. Look at what I have done. This put me into action. I went out and I tried to destroy the church. I have the asset of sincerity. And then, by the way, let me finish with this. I have legalistic righteousness. No one can point a finger at me and say, Paul, you've done this or you've done that. To the outside world, I'm flawless. I have the asset of works. John MacArthur summarized it this way. He said, it was the asset of ritual, race, rank, tradition, religion, sincerity, and works. And what Paul was saying to all those Judaizers is, this is better than you are. If you want to have a works competition, let's have it because I'm going to win. Let's go ahead and play the game. My list is better than yours. You see, as Paul was playing this game with them, He was showing them how ridiculous this is because all that he had done and all that they were doing is they were comparing themselves to each other. Paul was comparing himself to the Judaizers. You know, if you really want to feel good about yourself, start comparing yourself to everyone around you. Maybe for us, we have a foul-mouthed coworker that works with us, and we say to ourselves, you know what, I don't talk that way. I have an asset over that person. Or maybe we have an ungodly neighbor who never attends church, who just completely distant from God, and we say, we have an asset over that person right there. And we feel good about ourselves. And we play the game, the game of the Judaizers. Let's compare ourselves to each other. But as Paul shows us next in the text, the Scripture teaches us that we should never, ever do that. Scripture does not teach us to compare our assets to others. Scripture teaches us that we should compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, something happens. It happens in verses 7 and 8. Look at them with me. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. 
Beloved, did we hear what that said? It said, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for Christ. Think about that left column. All those assets that I just listed. All those assets that Paul listed, one through seven. What he realized in his life when he looked at those assets and he looked at Jesus, he realized that all those assets were not assets. They were actually liabilities. Think about that. Think about balancing your checking account at home and you think, I have this asset and this asset and this asset, this deposit. But you realize, yeah, I've made a mistake. This wasn't supposed to be a plus sign. It was supposed to be a minus sign. And everything that was here needs to be put over here in the liability column. That's the point Paul got to in his life. Do you know why? Because he realized he wasn't supposed to compare himself with other people. And when he compared himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, he saw that Christ is so greater, so higher, so much more perfect than his ritual, his race, his rank, his tradition, his religion, his works, his legalistic righteousness. And he must have said, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Everything that I thought was a gain to me is actually a loss. Makes us ponder the scriptures, doesn't it? Scriptures that Paul himself wrote. You think about scriptures that Jesus said in Matthew 5. Jesus said, be perfect for your Father in heaven's perfect. Well, the problem is we're sinners, aren't we? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of all that sin is death. We, we know that, yet we try to gather all of our assets together and, and say, Lord, here's the best of what I can offer you. Here's my rank. Here's my religion. Here's my race. Here's my tradition. Yet we read passages like Isaiah 64, 6, which say all my righteous deeds are even like filthy Nasty, dirty rags before God. You see, when we compare ourselves to Christ, it puts us on our knees. You see, Paul doesn't want us to feel good about ourselves. He wants you to feel good about Jesus. Listen, there's going to be a lot of preaching on TV and in this world. Preachers are going to stand up and, and say, feel good about yourself. You have done all this stuff. Make your list of assets. This is what you can hand God. That's not Paul. Paul says, no, everything I thought was a gain in my life, I realize it's a liability. And now I'm taking all of these assets and I'm casting them into this liability column. As the text says, whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. But did you see that verse 8 goes further? Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish. You know what the literal meaning is right there? Manure. Paul said that this list, when it comes down to it, is just like manure. So I cast it aside that I might gain Christ. Beloved, when Paul counted his circumcision a loss, 
he taught us that salvation is not by ritual. When he cast that his nationality as a lost, he taught us that salvation is not by race. When he casted the tribe of Benjamin as a loss, he taught us that salvation is not by rank. It's not by tradition. It's not by religion. It's not by sincerity. It's not by works. Those things are rubbish. So as we get to our final point today, we have to ask this question. If salvation is not by those things, what's it by? Look at verse 9 and see the righteousness of Christ. Paul says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. Do you want to hear the gospel? This is the gospel. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is fully and completely God, the same in substance with his Father, equal in power and glory. But that same Jesus, who's fully God, saw you and saw me in a very difficult position. Broken sinners, fallen, dead in our trespasses and sins, hopeless on our way to hell. And the Lord Jesus Christ stepped out of glory and came to this earth, becoming a man. Without ceasing to be God, he became man. And he lived just as we live, with pain, with suffering, needing sleep, needing food, needing water. The Bible says he was tempted just like we are, yet without sin. And the Bible said that God needed a righteous substitute for these sinners to be saved. So Jesus said, I'll be that substitute. And the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross because God said without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And he had nails in his hands and nails in his feet and he shed his blood for you. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Maybe you've been taught that your entire life. He died for your sins. He was buried with our sin, but he was raised the third day without them. And he defeated your sin, removed it as far as the east is from the west. And today, God says to you, you can be found not in your own assets, not in your own works. You can be found in Jesus Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness from your works that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness that comes through faith. Maybe you're here today and in your hand for years and years and years, you have held a list of assets. Maybe you have said, I've been baptized. I, I have the asset of ritual. Maybe you said, I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm a teacher. I have the asset of rank in the church. Maybe you have a long family history, history of being a church member. So you have the asset of tradition. Maybe you've been a Presbyterian, a Baptist, a Methodist for a long time, and you say, I'm holding the asset of religion. 
Maybe you've gone on mission trips. You've participated in ministry activities. You have the asset of sincerity. Maybe you tithe. Maybe you pray. Maybe you come to church. Maybe you fast. Maybe you don't get in trouble and you say, I have the asset of works. And you hold that asset list in your hand. And compared to others, it looks great. If that's you today, I want you to see Jesus. Just as Paul saw Jesus, who was higher, who was greater, who was way more perfect than this list could ever be. And I encourage you to shred that up and throw it right over here in the liability column. And as this verse 9 says, then turn and embrace Jesus Christ. Be found in him, not having your own righteousness that comes from the works of the law, but that that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Beloved, I will tell you that coming to know that Jesus is so simple. A six-year-old child could do it. I know I was that six-year-old child. But sometimes in life, we adults make that so hard, we stumble all over it. If that's you today, crumble that list up, get rid of it. What you thought was gain, see it as loss that you might gain Christ and be found in him. As we close, hear the warning. Look out. Look out. Look out. Luther had to look out. Paul had to look out. We need to look out too. Look at that list. Do you have a list? Assets, liabilities. Are you trying to justify yourself before God? If so, get rid of it. That you might gain Christ. And we'll close with this line. You know the song? Rock of Ages. If you have that list of lib- or that list of assets in your hand, Rock of Ages says it this way. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Run to Jesus. His arms are open wide. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we close this sermon today, as we ponder this great text, we confess, Father, that it is so easy to get caught up in this game of the Judaizers, this whole Let's make a list. Let's compare ourselves to other people when we forget about your righteousness, about your requirement. God, if there's anyone here who's holding on to a list, let them cast it into that liability column. Not seeing the asset of what they have done, but what you have done for them. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You made away Jesus for a sinful man to come to a holy God. Draw those savingly to yourself today and help us as Christians, Father, to be looking out for the evil worker, for the dog, for those that would want to distort the gospel and let us stand as Paul did, as Luther did so many years ago in faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.